This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to The Humane Podcast. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and you are listening to Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Humane Podcast. Today, our guest speaker is Lorna Davis. Lorna Davis is a global ambassador for B Corp. She's also a board member for Seventh Generation and does a lot of work in impact in the social space. Lorna and I both met each other back in November 2019 at the Work Awesome Conference in New York City. Lorna, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, David. It's lovely to be here. I know we're in um, a new world today with COVID-19 and everyone's on the top of their mind thinking about work and what does that look like. But I wanted to start at a more baseline question about relationships and living. And, you know, we think about work, we think about life, but how are you adjusting to COVID-19 or what is maybe some of the positive signs of COVID-19 that you've been taking away to your life? You know, it's interesting. When people ask me how I'm doing, I notice that the answer is only relevant for this moment, which is true for for everything, really, for all the time. But it's very noticeable this time that there can be moments when I'm just super peaceful and loving it and, in fact, kind of feel a bit guilty that I'm really liking this. And then other times when I'm uh, overwhelmed, like everybody, that's mostly when I've been looking at the news. Other times just super emotional. I think a lot of the people that I've been speaking to have been saying, you know, I'm, I'm snappy, I'm tearful, I'm kind of lost. So I think that's happening to all of us. And one of the things I'm noticing, I've been spending a lot of time the last couple of weeks with 
supporting, listening to, talking with people who are in startups or in relatively small businesses. And what I notice is that the period of paralysis between sort of denial and then shock, there's this period where we just can't move. And for some people, that period seems to be quite long. And they're trying to force themselves to move, but they're not ready yet. And so I'm noticing that a little bit of that's happening to me as well, that I'm trying to kind of jolly myself along in certain areas. And I'm thinking, no, we're just not ready yet. We'll be ready maybe in an hour or tomorrow or whatever. So the answer to your question is I'm variable like everybody else. And I'm trying to just take it one moment at a time, really. I think that's so important, you know, and, and variability can mean so many things, Lorna, right? It could mean changeability, adaptability. And, you know, for example, I was, I think, in New York, one of the first few people to buy a face mask actually in mid-January. But maybe I was early on there, but I've been slower to react in other areas, too. And, you know, I don't know if that's a mindset shift or that's a desire to hope things won't change as much, that we can maintain life as it is. But, you know, I think like all things in life, I'm always excited about the opportunity to change. And I think I think what we'll look back. So if we look back in a year, two years, three years, I think ultimately humanity will come a lot closer. I think we'll accelerate a lot of our relationships and we'll learn also how to work better in remote environments and even maybe appreciate in-person conferences and events all the more. I think you're right. And I think what we will also come out of this with is um, a really good understanding of ourselves, which will be very important for the next phase of the world, if you like. What I'm noticing is that some people's desire for connection is really strong and they're uh, they've, they've struggled with all of this, but then they're solving for it with virtual happy hours and virtual tea times. And they seem to be, you know, zooming galore. I notice other people are really, really finding the lack of control very difficult because there is no control. And so for people who, who like things to be neat and tidy and relatively predictable, this is very painful for them. And so they're learning how to cope with the sort of needing to let go or yield or whatever. Other people struggling with kind of the way that they're processing information. Some people like a lot, some people like a little. What I think is interesting is that people are kind of getting onto themselves and they're saying, oh, so this is what I need to thrive in these times. And mm -hmm. I think that that's going to serve them well in the future because the reality is that the sort of lack of control and the ambiguity it's kind of the way it always was. We just used to pretend that we had it under control. <laughs> so now it's like the universe is going, just in case you were under any illusion. <laughs> no, it's all up for grabs. It's only this moment that we know. And so I think people will be more self-aware and hopefully more self-aware and more compassionate, more loving leaders in the future. I think that makes so much sense. You know, I'm one of those very structured people who likes everything in my calendar, very organized, very planned, and everything got thrown for a loop. You know, I had, I think my whole schedule was planned through the end of April, right? And then it's just, you know, whoop, 
uh, keynotes canceled, events canceled, conferences canceled, gym classes canceled. It's like life canceled, but really life's not canceled. Life does go on. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the things that I'm really conscious of is is how very privileged we are. And I think everybody has a huge dose of, of gratitude right now because, you know, any of us who live in New York City are, are privileged really in many ways. But um, I'm also noticing people who, who whose livelihoods are now really threatened. I'm noticing them taking a breath and readjusting and getting perspective too. And in fact, we're speaking to somebody this morning a homeless friend of mine, trying to provide some support to him because he used to come to my building and, and shower and, and get food here. And now the buildings are not very encouraging of people to come in. And I noticed uh, him sort of snap at me and say, I'm going to be okay. And I want to work this out by myself. And so I noticed my sort of misplaced attempt to help actually was infantilizing and so I'm also trying to work out how to calibrate, how to be supportive, but how not to be helpful, because being helpful is a pain in the neck. Nobody wants to be helped. But how can we really provide support for each other at a time when, when people are still trying to work out what support they want? Right. And some support is, as you mentioned, maybe more be, uh, bearing witness, right? Being available, you know, hearing, listening, seeing, being present, and even beyond that, it's also knowing what material resources do exist or are available. You know, recently, uh, New York City, where we're at, they shared across that they're making a lot of resources available more for businesses, right? Especially these small businesses that make, which is the Advanced Manufacturing and Advisory Industry Council, which I, I sit on with the Small Business Services and NYC EDC. Just actually uh, today, you know, uh, and for those listening to the show on playback, and this is from March 25th, you know, they announced a New York City employee retention grants that uh, small businesses who retain their employees for at least two months, New York City will cover 40% of your payroll if you're less than five employees. If you're less than 100 employees and your revenue's gone down by up to 25% or more, you can get a zero interest loan for up to 30 years for $75,000. And there's other deferments um, for evictions, but also for companies that you can also defer now rent. So I think a lot of um, things that have been on people's mind in the last few weeks that's been very stressful, causing people to be snappy, hopefully are going to start getting resolved or moving in the right direction. Yeah, what I'm also really impressed with is how people have pivoted. So one of the B Corps is a company called Oxford, which is its only business was to supply businesses with catering. And of course, 100% of that business dried up overnight. I've been really impressed to see how that team has pivoted. Jesse Gould, by the way, if you're listening, shout out to you, and are now delivering uh, home meals and what's interesting as well, I noticed in an in a, um, email blast they sent out last night that they are now tapping into the market of people who are providing food for neighbors and friends and people who are in quarantine and so on. And so very interesting to see how businesses are pivoting and, oh, there you go, look at that. 
And I ordered myself yesterday because I thought, wow, I'm, it's going to be exciting to get one of these delivery. And I love the fact that their delivery people are called Oxen with, with much irony. It's, um, it's great. So I think there's some interesting businesses that are thriving and another B Corp inspired capital. I see they had a webinar on Monday with a sort of conversation about how to, how to pivot with purpose. And they had, you know, I don't know, 200 people on that webinar, people who really wanted to connect, people really wanted to understand how to be personally resilient, how to kind of rethink your business. So I think it's really, I'm excited to see how people reinvent themselves in this time. And I'm loving the new collaboration. So, you, you know, my big subject is collaboration. If, if you've watched my TED Talk, that's kind of what I talk about. And what's interesting to me is that um, when we're afraid, often our first instinct is just to hunker down and be like a hedgehog or be like a turtle. And actually, counterintuitively, what we really need after we've had a little time to settle, what we need is support from others and we need to connect and, and collaborate. And uh, you mentioned Seventh Generation. I was talking with them yesterday and one of their local, obviously the seventh generation business is going extremely well because people want to all the products that they've got. And so, of course, they've got challenges with supply chain and all sorts of issues around factory workers at social distancing. But what I was really inspired by is that one of the local, I think it's a distillery, has worked out how to make sanitizer, but they can only deliver it in these huge kind of gallon vats or these huge multi-gallon vats. And so the seventh generation folks are helping them by providing actual containers with lids so that they're usable. And so these new collaborations are springing up all over the place as people are trying to pivot. The yoga studio that I go to down the road has now obviously moved all to Zoom, but the tailor next door has now started making masks. And so the yoga studio has sent out, you know, advertising for the tailor next door, go and buy your masks at the tailor next door because we need to support them because they're our neighbors. And of course, they were an important source of traffic. We were an important source of traffic. So I'm loving the innovation that's coming out of this. And I'm also loving the, um, the new relationships, new collaboration, new interdependence that's coming from this. And these are the collaborations that should have been always happening all along. And in some communities, they have happened. You know, I'm originally from South Florida. And when I was in Miami doing yoga in the Gables, the businesses did support each other next door and cross promotion and events. We, we've seen that in the yoga community with like Lululemon and yoga studios. But now we're seeing it across all different industries. As you mentioned, a tailor who traditionally could help with dry cleaning and hemming clothes is now making custom design face masks, right? Uh, to send messages of, of hope and inspiration. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're going to see things that we never have seen before. And I, I think we're also going to see, we're going to see a complete reshaping of traditional blocks of time one of the last events that I went to before the shutdown was a fantastic um, event uh, called Engage, which featured a woman called Laura Carstensen, who is the professor of longevity at Stanford University. And she was talking about the impact of aging, and she was talking about the, the changes to our lives. She was talking specifically as well about women, because women are you know, living longer, obviously, and they are uh, under-resourced in so many ways. 
But she raised the, the point. She raised the point that um, old-fashioned thinking had education when you're young, then working or productivity or making money or whatever it is when you're middle-aged, and then retirement or leisure time. And in a world now where people, I don't know how, you old, how old you are, David, but you're probably going to live between 100 and 120 years. Almost everybody on this call or everybody who's listening to this who's got a child, those children will live to be 120 without, you know, with, with a little bit of luck, but not too much effort. And so the disruption of these three segments is obvious as people uh, start to kind of rearrange their lives and as people start to educate themselves differently, what I'm uh, educate themselves differently and have leisure time differently. And people are going to be working a lot longer than the traditional 60, which my dad retired at and, and perhaps many people who are listening, parents retired at. So I think that what's interesting now is people are mixing those things up in a day. So in any one day, I guess, we're doing a bit of leisure, we're doing a bit of work, we're doing a bit of education. I notice many people enthusiastically choosing to learn to play the trombone or learning to speak Spanish or something, which is good for them. But um, you know, other people just doing educational podcasts and so on. And there's a slight disorientation in this because some people are used to getting up in the morning, dropping the kids at daycare and then getting in the car or on the subway and going to work and then coming home at six o'clock and, you know, having dinner and so on. So this sort of neat disruption of the day uh, is challenging for some people. And it is challenging to have, as I just had, um, a kind of a traffic jam in my kitchen while we were all trying to make tea in between university and work and so on. Um, But the upside is that these sort of you know, fixed boundaries between these periods of our lives have dissolved perhaps forever. And so we'll be easily able to segue from lying on the couch reading a book to getting up to do a yoga class to doing an hour of work to uh, going to learn the tuba. I think it'll be fun. I think it will be fun. And and I know for, um, depending on who you are, if you're an introvert, an extrovert, an ambivert, it may be more or less fun in the beginning. But I think ultimately, it will create a lot of efficiencies and not just around automation. You know, one of the themes we talk a lot about on Humane, but also better human productivity inspired by creativity. You know, I like to think these topics you just mentioned, Lorna, like learning the trombone or, you know, taking time to practice yoga between work could be, let's call them the COVID resolutions. You know, now's the time, right? We have whatever the time frame is going to be, anywhere from two weeks to a few more than that. It's a great time to set these new resolutions on something new to learn. Yeah, I tell you, the only resolution that I decided I really had to be serious about was that after a week in sweatpants and, you know, leggings, I I decided I need to actually get properly dressed every day because otherwise, you know, 10 kilos are going to just slide on without me noticing. So I think, you know, there's some some advantages to some some sort of discipline in our day, which I think we're all discovering for ourselves. But I think you, you make another important point about technology and relationships. One of the things that I think is a fantastic benefit of Zoom or any of those uh, video uh, software systems, I particularly like Zoom, as a, just because I've pretty much tried them all, I think, and I like that one, but 
is there are a couple of things that actually enhance intimacy. One of the things that I talk about a lot is the inclusion of people who are shyer than others. And you made the point of introvert, extrovert. And by the way, I've never heard the term ambivert, but I guess that's people who can do either, right? Um, is that with that sort of hand-raising function, people who would otherwise struggle to fight their way into a conversation can put their hand up and know that, that the facilitator has seen their hand and they will get their chance to speak. And that's a much less courageous move to quietly hover your, your, your mouse over the raise hand button and press it than it is to go, <laughs> I want to speak. But I think the other thing that's interesting is that once you've raised your hand, you're actually free to go back and listen to the people, person who's speaking. One of the big disadvantages of in-face, in face-to-face meetings is, so David's speaking, he's absolutely fascinating, but halfway through, I think to myself, I really want to speak. I really want to speak. So I want to know when I can get my moment of speaking and that means that I'm half listening to David now because I'm waiting for my chance to speak. Whereas if I put up my little digital hand, I can chill, listen to David, know that when he's finished, my turn will come. And so actually it builds intimacy in a way that's really powerful. And I think the other thing that's amazing about Zoom is, um, you know, you and I are speaking to each other. You, you can see that I've got some, a colorful painting behind me and you know that I'm in my, my apartment, but, and you know that I'm, you know, I'm looking reasonably civilized from, from the neck up, but you don't know anything else about this room, right? You don't know that I've actually got a blanket over my knees because I'm a bit cold and my dog's over here and I've got my tea over here. And so actually I'm super comfortable. I don't know what, you know, what's around you. I can see you've got some books behind you. But, you know, we can be super comfortable and really connected. So we're not like all dressed up and uncomfortable and sitting at some boardroom table. So I think these are all things that will enhance intimacy and connection that I hope we hold on to when we go back to um, more in, you know, in-person meetings. I think you're completely right, Lorna. It's that using these digital tools, we can break down the digital divide of, you know, different levels of hierarchy or feeling uncomfortable asking a question. I mean, Zoom has so many tools and we've talked about some of them like raising hands or even go faster or go slower. And this, of course, is one of the many tools but, you know, my hope always as someone who I consider myself an extrovert, I'm always that person in the room who, you know, asks the question when no one else asks a question. But it's, you know, when we go back to that workforce of we're around the board table or we're, you know, in a meeting, can other people have that confidence to do that? And, and if not immediately with like, you know, physically raising my hand, I even wonder if in-person engagements in the future are going to have a lot more digital tools there. Like what if we have future meetings where we have Zoom type clickers and in the keynote, I can literally be telling you, go faster, go slower or raise hand. And then you're getting this live dynamic feedback. Yeah, that's true. And, and interestingly, also the other thing that I find fascinating and slightly annoying that I can't mute it is the chat function. So, you know, if there's a bunch of us listening to one person and then there's a sort of stream of chat, 
well curated, actually, that stream of chat can mean a couple things going on at the same time. And in fact, I mean, I know there are many, many a time I've been in a meeting, as I'm sure you have as well, where there's been another meeting going on under the table with all of us on WhatsApp or whatever, like, you know, discussing, you know, you say it first and then I'll back you up or whatever, you know. So I think, I mean, that sort of stuff does happen, but it'd be interesting to see if it gets formalized. I'm intrigued to see that. I'm also very intrigued to see how much face-to-face comes back. Hey, humans. How are you staying healthy during COVID-19? One way to be in prime health is with fiber. Bellway is next-generation fiber, vegan, organic, and keto-friendly. Bellway has zero grams of sugar and can help with clearer, brighter skin after only a few days. Bellway is available today in the USA. And with an exclusive offer just for our listeners, you can get 25% off your first order today. Go to getbellway.com and use my code HUMAN for 25% off. And again, that's G-E-T-B-E-L-L-W-A-Y or getbellway.com and use code HUMAN for you to try your first fiber. You know, having been in a virtual world for a long time, I love video conferencing. I think you lose very little. Uh, You and I have never met You and I already have, I think, a strong relationship that we've just built from this. And maybe you and I will never meet. And that's that's okay, you know. And it was unthinkable before that that you and I might build this kind of relationship and never meet. And I think I think people have old-fashioned ideas about how people need to be face-to-face to really build a relationship. I don't think that that's true. I really don't. And and I think that'll obviously be great for the carbon footprint of the planet later. And it'll also be, I think people will fight for a lot of the, the hard one. You know, they will have learned so many lessons around being home and wanting to be with their families and so on. I was speaking to somebody this morning who said, oh my goodness, I haven't spent three hours with my three children like I did last night for a long time because that's not how it was. And it's a bit of a shock right now. It's like, whoa. But, you know, in a month, she's going to be saying, I don't want to give that up and I don't want to give that up. And therefore uh, half of my life is going to go virtual or all of it or whatever, you know, I think it's going to be just super fun to see how, how it all unfolds for us. It's amazing to see that unfolding with our technology only being audio and video today. Of course, we're going to see in, in the future, you know, more augmented reality, virtual reality, all these other technologies too, which can continue to bridge that gap. Uh, I talk with a lot of my students uh, when I teach at Galvanize, and I say, imagine a future where all holograms, right? I, I'm from home. I'm just in my pajamas teaching you. You see a hologram of me in my suit. You're all holograms learning in your living rooms, but we look like we're in this beautiful classroom. And, you know, I think it's blending both the digital world with the physical world. It's important. And you know, as, as we've seen in history has told us, sometimes we need a tough push to make us go over that cliff to then see there's a way back up, but maybe there's a better way than we formerly knew. So a lot of what you've shared, uh, both, you know, in your TED Talk and as well, uh, even at the Workies and in the Work Awesome Conference is around environmental shifts and how we could be more socially conscionable. You've mentioned this with B Corp, Seventh Generation, a lot of organizations. And 
we're looking now in COVID-19 and we've started seeing some early results. Some of it's been fake news, some of it's been real, but we've even seen in China with Wuhan, for example, that you know during the shutdown, a lot of the pollution levels almost magically went away when we looked at satellite imaging to show that Look at this, humans are causing so much carbon and we have such a big carbon footprint. Could we, by just creating better practices, start to reverse the trends? What are some of the things you've seen through industry and now around carbon footprints? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I One of the memes that was circulating in the last couple of days was climate change needs the same publicist as the coronavirus or COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I mean, if you look at the level of action that people have taken as a result of this virus, you can see what is possible if people really get it. And that's maybe the most exciting uh, news of all for me with reference to the environment. I think all of us are sort of hanging in the environmental and social space. And and one of the reasons that I'm a big supporter of, of B Corp and why I'm an ambassador, and for those of you on this call who don't know what a B Corp is, these are organizations that have been certified to have the highest level of social and environmental performance. There are about 4,000 of them in the world, and uh, it's kind of like fair trade for business. The reason that I like it, by the way, is that it balances environmental and social because it's really important that uh, human rights, animal rights are also taken into account in this conversation. But I think All of us have been really inspired and impressed by the companies that have been leading the way and people like Patagonia, people like Ben & Jerry, people like Danone, the company that I used to work for, all of them working hard to reinvent business. But I think it was becoming increasingly apparent, and I say was, it was becoming increasingly apparent that it's very difficult to do that without everybody working together and without a combination of public and private action legislative support for these kinds of changes are going to be critical in the future because otherwise you can have, you know, one group of people doing what they like and and looking like heroes, but effectively other people, I mean, one group of people trying to do the right thing and looking like heroes and others doing whatever they like and canceling that out. And we're also going to have to be working together across borders because, you know, so many of the arguments about climate have been, well, my country's not the problem, your country's the problem. One of the things that I have been hoping to see, and I'm not seeing it yet, but I think it's fair to say that I'm trying not to look at the news right now. So maybe you're seeing it. I'm not really seeing countries collaborating. So it's interesting. When I look at the data science and software engineering world, when we look at the engineers, we're starting to see collaboration there. You know, in the past year, we saw a shutdown, of course, with the trade wars, where a lot of that collaboration was going away. But now, because of the rapid spread of coronavirus, we have data scientists in Sweden and Mexico and China and the U.S. all collaborating, sharing data sets, big companies sharing the data, working with small businesses on the data and engineering side. We see, you know, Google's come out with a website to help people understand if they have COVID and how they can get tested and what are the symptoms. So I think from a technology standpoint in this new tech economy, we're starting to see some of that bridged. You know, I'm one of the members in the New York City task force uh, to fight against COVID-19. And we have now over 500 technologists in New York City helping bridge that gap to make 
information available, to remove disinformation, to make sure everyone knows how to access resources. But that's on the technology side. That's not necessarily on the climate side or the supply side. And so I wonder what that will look like, especially locally in places like New York, but then as we go more macro to the United States or even the U.S. with Canada and Mexico or even across borders. Yeah, I think I mean, that's I think the big question is if you if you really want to solve the climate challenge, countries need to work together and they need to have aligned legislation on carbon reduction. They obviously you know, need to sign up to agreements like COP and they need to have a shared view that the world has a problem that the world has to solve together. And I know this is early and I'm kind of still in shock about it, but I was, I was getting a bit downhearted about that, I have to say. I was kind of, you know, cheering myself up by saying that in my little world I was doing the best I could, but I was frustrated and saddened to see a group of people, both in the financial markets and in government, basically saying, it's not my problem. These are the existing rules. Forget the rest of you. And others, no matter how, how loud others spoke. And those ones, you know, those ones have much of the power. But having seen how shaken people are by this, I'm hoping that some of that sort of self-involvement, both self-individual and self-bordered um, I'm trying really, have you noticed that I'm trying really hard to be neutral and I'm not naming anybody and I'm not naming any countries. But um, the reality is your passport and your bank balance don't save you from this problem. You can kind of, you can kind of hide yourself away, I guess. And apparently there's some people who have hired security guards to keep people away from them so that they don't get it. And I guess you can pretend that this is not your problem, but there are going to be a huge percentage of people in the world who will understand that this is all of our problem and that we do have a shared humanity and that'll be a wake-up call for them. I'm hoping that a lot of those stories, I mean, you heard the one about Wuhan, I heard the one, and I don't know if this is true, about dolphins in the canal in Venice. Is that true? So the dolphins in the canal in Venice is half true and half fake news. Uh So... So what it is, is there's always been dolphins in Italy, and they sometimes come to the canals through the, you know, waterways. But because dolphins are generally afraid of humans and like to be in their own surroundings, because there's no humans there now, they are coming back to the canals on their natural migrations and their natural movement. The fake news part is uh, some stories were saying that, oh, look, humans are gone. Pollution's over. Dolphins are back in the waterways. They're clean. Okay, not so fast. It's more like the sheltering from humans part. Well, I'm sure that just like many of these kind of stories, I think all of us instinctively know that there there will be some of these kinds of stories that as human activity slows down, natural activity will uh, rectify itself or come back to life. And hopefully we will fall back in love with the world, fall back in love with nature, fall back in love with the universe, really. And that will give us a new sensibility. And what we'll do about it, I'm not sure, but I sure as hell know that it is a better, more grounded place to act from when you are in love with other humans and in love with nature 
than when you're frightened, angry, defensive, and think that your money's going to save you, which is kind of what, uh, you know, has been predominant in parts of the world up, you know, recently. So um, coming back to your question, I just don't know what the world's going to be like after this with reference to climate. And I, and I was talking to the B Corp folks this, earlier this week. Nobody's sure whether there's going to be a new move in the direction of being this kind of company or whether people will say, let's just go back to the way the old, the old way things were, or let's not be a sort of special group of early movers. Let's try and change the entire system. So, I, and I think it is too early and I don't think we should leap to conclusions or to, or what's the word? Um, I don't know what that word is when you make up stuff when you don't know what you're talking about. In data science, we call it predictions. We make these these inference predictions without enough data, right? So I, I call it making up stuff, but there you go. <laughs> you know, but as you're saying that, it's so amazing, Lorna. We were talking about this offline that how great is it today that no one knows what to do about COVID-19 and we can admit it. I know. It's lovely. It reminds, you know, I lived in China for six years. And I think it's fair to say that in the six years, and I, I was running a big business in China, I think it's fair to say that in the six years, I knew what to do, maybe three days of that. I had no clue what was going on most of the time. It's a chaotic environment. It was moving super fast. I didn't speak the language well. I didn't read the language. And it felt like um, my entire six years there felt like the rapids. Have you been whitewater rafting, David? Uh, only once. And I'll tell you, it was quite turbulent for me. Did you fall out? I, I went on one of the, the easier rapids. So I think I, I saved myself from falling out on that one. Well, when you go whitewater rafting, and I'm sure many people listening to this have been whitewater rafting, the first rule they tell you is do not try to find the ground. Keep your feet up. Because if you try and find the ground and the water is moving too fast, there's a chance your foot will get caught and you will drown. So again, counterintuitive though it may seem, keep your feet up, trust the water, it will deliver you to gentler water downstream. And that's terrific advice for right now. It's turbulent. Don't try and find the ground right now. It will deliver us to quieter water when we'll be able to find the ground. And, you know, what I experienced in China was there were periods of just full-on rapids, turbulence, and I had no clue what was going on. But I knew enough to know that I shouldn't try and find the ground. And then the water would calm a little, and I'd be able to get my feet, be able to get a bit of data. I'd be able to get a bit of analysis of what I'd just been through, reorganize the business a little, and then whoop, another set of rapids, and off we'd go again. And this feels a little bit like that. And, and I noticed that as we desperately try to grab, one of the, the reasons why people do this obsessive news business is that they're trying to get enough facts that, that they can find solid ground. And the reality is that all of the news pundits have no clue either. They're just, what did you say? Making inferences. I say making stuff up. And so they're providing fake stability. So just... Let it be. Keep your feet up. The water will deliver us into, into calmer ground or into calmer waters, and then we'll be able to find our ground. And so there's a part of me that just really likes that everybody knows 
that it's chaotic. Like nobody can pretend that it isn't. So it is. So let's let that be. That's right. I mean, even with the data scientists in the community, you know, a lot of data scientists have been trying to predict the outbreaks and the movement of of networks and relationships. And we've seen an outpouring of epidemiologists from the medical community saying, I've been spending 30 years tracking infectious disease. You've been doing data science for 12 months. Do you think you're going to predict this better? Right? So, so a lot of, a lot of making up stuff, but you know, I think what we can do regardless when we make up stuff or, or try to move to prediction, um, you were also sharing offline that smiling, it's not infectious. Yeah, I know. This, this is one of the things that really, I was listening to one of your earlier guests, Daniel, and he was talking about the fact that New York City is such a dense city and that that's an advantage in some times and it's a disadvantage in others. And obviously this is a time when it's a disadvantage, but you know, I've lived in the city in two bursts for three years each, so cumulatively six years. And um, one of the things that I love about the city is people are indomitable, you know, and everybody's kind of, you know, they've got such great spirit. I'm noticing nobody's smiling right now, with or without masks. And the reality is that even with a mask, I can see whether you're smiling or not. And so let's just smile, man. We're all doing our best. And even if I bridge the two meter gap and I'm just like a little bit closer than you want me to be, like just a little bit closer than you want me to be. Or if my dog decides to sniff your dog, and of course our dogs don't know about social distancing, let's just smile at each other, you know. It's it's going to be okay. I guess I need a mask that says smiling is slash isn't infectious i don't know <laughs> you know it's funny with with the dogs i'm like oh we might as well make dog masks but the who did disprove that dogs can get coronavirus i was joking with a friend the other day when i was doing yoga you know my dog was just coming over and kissing me and, and i said oh i'm gonna have to put her in the other room or i could just put a mask on when i do yoga <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what what's going on about that, but I think on the coming back to the subject of uh, prediction and uh, you know your epidemiology story. Do you say epidemiology? Yeah, I guess is that the only question that I ask myself every day is: Has anybody got a piece of information that's going to change what I'm actually doing? I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but I'm washing my hands. Um, you know, we all know that thing. I'm doing the social distancing. I'm going out as little as possible. I have chosen to stay here. I have chosen my people to stay with. Until somebody says something that changes that whole scenario, then there's nothing really to discuss anymore. So I think that the, and no matter what the predictions are, uh, they, they actually don't touch what most of us are practically doing every day. Unless there's a, a piece of information that says, I need to leave my home or I need to, what, you know, okay. But that's the screen that I'm using. And looking at practical predictions as a, a final topic for today, I know we're just wrapping up International Women's Month, all about empowerment and change, uh, especially about women in tech and women in business. Being in this turbulent time and, and us speaking about all these topics, what calls to action or what messages would you like to share with women uh, leaders who might be listening to our podcast? 
You know, I've been I've been saying for a long time now that women's ability to deal with ambiguity and complexity and interconnectedness is better than men's. I, I know that I'm not politically correct, perhaps when I say that, but I don't really care. I'm seeing that women, about 85% of the women of the people that I speak to in the movement of purpose uh, who are passionate about leading in a new way are women. And many of them, young women, 35 to 45, roughly women. And this is their time. This time of ambiguity, complexity, multitasking is the time for them to really step up. One of the things that I'm, I'm really hoping is that uh, this homeschooling business is influencing or is impacting men parents as well as women parents. Too many of the conversations that I'm having uh, in this last week have been with women who are saying, you know, my kids are home from school and I'm the one doing the homeschooling. I'm not hearing that many of the men saying I'm the one doing the homeschooling. So I'm really hoping like hell that there's a bit of a rebalancing going on here or a bit of a balancing going on here in this time of um, no daycare and uh, no school where, you know, whoever of the other parents are, are needing to balance the management of their children. And I'm hoping that they're evenly balancing that. But I do think that uh, I'm also seeing an increasing frustration and anger from women who have been patiently kind of managing within the, the confines of the existing paradigm. And I tell the story often about the elephant and the mouse and that if you have an elephant and a mouse in a same space, the mouse is paying much more attention to the elephant because the mouse's life depends on it. And so women have spent a lot of their time or actually everybody in the non-dominant group, which is basically everybody who's not a white man, have spent a lot of their time trying to work out how men work, how white men operate, and then trying to find a way to work within it. And the problem with that is not only does that mean that people who are in minority groups tend to throw each other under the bus if it comes to that, because they're all trying to defend themselves from the dominant paradigm, then no, nobody's challenging the paradigm. And I think people, are, nobody was, and I think people are getting increasingly frustrated with that. And I think that, you know, things like the climate crisis and things like COVID-19 will cause women to say, it's enough now, the old system didn't work, and I will actively participate in the, the creation of a new system. Um, so I think when the dust settles or when the rapids settle, my call to action really is that women say, how can I really shift this paradigm rather than win within it? Well, it's never too early to shift the paradigm. It's never too early to smile without infection and for us to all remember that as humanity, we're in this together. Lorna Davis, B Corp, thank you so much for being with us on Humane. Thanks a lot, David. It's been a joy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. What do you think? Did the show measure up to your thoughts on artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education? Listeners, I want to hear from you so that I can offer you the most relevant, trend-setting, and educational content on the market. You can reach me directly by email at david at humanepodcast.com. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcasting app, and tune in to more episodes of Humane.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.